And also, I can't imagine it's too comfortable for tall people. One of the great advantages of being 5'10". I can just sit. 5'10", what, in your, in your platforms? 5'10", <laughs> 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 as, your, as your feet get smaller and they squeeze up like this, the natural, oh, that's the right. natural that, wheels. That's 5'10", but that you're 5'9", no, a decade ago. <laughs> that's an official stat. <laughs> However, I'm perched. Cast Iron Brains, a podcast that is relieved to exist here at the rather pleasant and not at all fraught end of moral history, an age in which the scales have fallen from our own eyes, of course, and also from the eyes of so many, especially so many of our young people. And we are no longer blind to the monstrous injustices that our forebears so maliciously and happily indulged in back in, like, 2015. A podcast that is relieved to report that after a thorough examination of our archives, that we don't have anything to apologize for, that we are as clear as an unmuddied lake, Fred, as clear as an azure sky of deepest summer. We have never said even a single syllable, or two, that could possibly be held against us. A podcast that has probably written an intro like this at least once or twice before, but that's what I love about these controversies, man. I keep getting older, but they stay the same age. All right, all right, all right. My name is Bob, sitting across the way from my good friend and co-host. That's Abe. How you doing tonight, Abe? Doing well, Bob. Yeah, here we are. Lori's here, too. How are you doing, Lori? All right. Well, today is... Monday, February 7th, 2022. Been a couple weeks since we got together and recorded. I went to Denver last week. How was that? It was great. Went to visit my brother, Chris, and uh, his wife and family. They had a baby back in November. And I like babies, especially when they're this young. They just sort of sit there and look at you. And they're the most pleasant of... Uh, humans to interact with you you're not uh, the type because i was always unnerved when kids are that small they look so fragile like anything can go wrong like their neck go yeah they're really not fragile, they're not fragile though. it's incredible you, i've been like around small children stuff. for much of my life and they yeah they bounce off of shit and they get right back <laughs> up and they'll be fine <laughs> they just seem fragile i guess yeah i got a little touch of a cold in my travels didn't get covid so that's good that you know of. That I know of. I tested, He won't go get a test. I won't get a PCR test because I'm fine. I, I did the home test after a few days, and then I was symptomatic, potentially. And I did the home test, and it was negative, as it's been all along. And I've, as once again, disappointed that I don't have the Omicron variant, because I think it's ultimately probably would be fine to get it and pick up that little bit of immunity boost that you would get from that. So just a anyway, regular cold? Yeah, it's just a regular cold. I was in, like I said, I was in Denver. I picked up my niece, who's now a little bit more than four. And what's funny is that back in August, or July rather, when we July. all were visiting, when we all got together for the July 4th holiday, and she showed up sick, and I was putting sunscreen on her poolside, and she like coughed just right in my mouth <laughs> while I was... Uh, while I was putting sunscreen on her, trying to do the great. try and do the nice uncle thing, and I lean over and she just coughs right into my open mouth. 
Like, not accidentally either. Right. I picked her up the other day when I was visiting and, like, you know, pick her up to give her a hug or whatever. Like, she wanted me to pick her up. So I picked her up. I pick her up and we're like face to face and she sneezes right into my open mouth while I was there. Like, is this just a thing we do, little niece of mine? We get together and you just. Just spew right into my face at, at first possibility. She's trying to keep her uh, immune system honest, you know? You yeah, gotta... Thanks so much. She, later that night, and then for much of the next day, was just yarfing everywhere, as little kids are wont to do. Uh, I didn't get any of that. None of, none of the rest of us got a stomach bug. But Did you get this as a result of the trip, or was this kind of like... It certainly felt like it was a result of the trip. I, I don't know how else I would have gotten it. I felt weirdly like... As I wasn't sure, I haven't done much travel in the last couple of years with COVID. I got my first N95 masks for uh, the purposes of this trip. Lori secured them from a client. A client of mine is an uh, ICU doctor and found oh. out Bob was traveling. And he was like, does he need a mask? And I was like, no, we have some. He was like, yeah, I'm going to bring you some. <laughs> Are these larger than the normal ones? Because I don't know if it was he the brought, beard like, or what. He brought like four different kinds. Fit. Okay, they're different. It was a great mask. It was I've, I hadn't worn an N95 throughout this entire process, and at no point did I feel like I was breathing anyone else's air the whole time that I was wearing it. Like it's a very secure fit around the face. I could wear my sunglasses without them fogging up because the, oh, nice. there's no air that escapes up yeah. the top. Yeah, yeah. and uh, relatively comfortable during the flight wearing it and. No, it's not pleasant at all. It's, no, it's I mean, not. compared to, I'm, I'm not saying unmasked, like that mask versus another mask that you walk around with, like to go to the Yeah, I mean, it's store. a little bit more cumbersome and it's a, it's a tighter fit to the face. So it's not okay. as unobtrusive as like a cloth mask or a surgical mask would be, but it certainly felt more secure. Yeah, you know, whatever. I, it was surprising to me both in, in all of the airports where I was, because I was in the Richmond airport, the Atlanta airport, the Denver Wait, airport. But you connected through Atlanta? High percentage of people following the rules. Yeah, I had to fly through Atlanta. Oh, boy. Yeah, landed in Atlanta. I walked. Abe is now mad that you didn't visit. Well, I was only in Atlanta for like an hour and 15 minutes. Uh, and I, I got there. So the Atlanta airport for, like, it gets a bad rap for some reason, I think, because people just like to hate things. Who, who, what? A lot of people connect through Atlanta. Yeah, people, no. People don't, people don't care for the Atlanta airport. No, and I make a personal uh, mission to tell people that it's actually great. Yeah, the Atlanta and airport And that if there's great. something they don't like, it's airlines, and it's airlines that are not Delta. Yeah. Right. The, the only problem with the Atlanta airport is getting to the Atlanta airport if you live in or around yeah. Atlanta. Like, that's the worst part of the Atlanta airport is that it's like, is it way on the east, south it's side awful. or something it's of like Atlanta? South, yeah. And, or no, where is it? It's like it's southwest, south. I think. Yeah, it's right? like Hapeville. It's south. Is, it's like, yeah. Anyway, south, it sucks to get there from the, from, the, from the burbs, basically. From Athens. And, right. and even worse to get there from Athens. But once you're inside the oh, Atlanta it's airport, it's just the best airport. And no, I'm, I tell people all the time. If you can get to Atlanta, you're going to be in fine shape. Like, right. don't ever worry about connecting through Atlanta, because if you're connecting through Atlanta, you're probably flying Delta, and the whole terminal's right there. And I say, if you have a lot of time, go to the F terminal, which is the fancy one, 
and it makes you feel like you're fancy. And uh-huh. also, at the very end of, I believe, Terminal C, you can watch the planes take off if you have a lot of time. Oh, a lot of options, yeah. <laughs> anyway, the, the point here is that Atlanta has a whole great selection of possible like eateries to go and eat at and like they have Bob everything. chose the wrong one they have everything and i could have gone basically anywhere except i landed right at lunchtime so everywhere was fucking busy and i only had like 50 minutes or so before i needed to be getting on a plane and flying to denver and so i ended up buying this like 13 dollar like wilted brown salad that was just disgusting. <laughs> Everything thirteen dollars. You went to like an off-brand, like airport restaurant, and not like Wendy's. Like right. the people that I so, so it was part of a food court, and I sat, and there were like three or four other people eating these salads from this place, and I was uh, when I sat down, I didn't notice anybody else, but then people would keep coming and sitting down, and I watched their faces as they would sit down at the <laughs> table, and then open the lid of the salad and see what was inside and all of them made very similar faces which is like oh because <laughs> you, you could see the menu and you could see a, a an example salad on display in front of you it's like ooh, a thai chicken sesame whatever the fuck that sounds right. delicious like right. there, were, there were only like four options and they all sounded good and i had trouble choosing because it's like oh man all of these salads sound so yeah. good <laughs> And I'll I'll put a picture because I took a picture. I'll put a picture on the it'll be the lead picture of this episode if you go to the website at brainiron.com, where uh, if you haven't been going there, you've missed uh, some very great and by very great I mean uh, very small and stupid uh, visual gags that I post sometimes as lead images for the for episodes. But that'll be this week's. It'll be a, a picture of my disgusting congealed chicken salad that I ate. This is uh, your actual salad, not some Atlanta file Airport. footage. Okay. Yeah. No, no, no. Not not like the the gussied up Photoshop version that they had on the menu board. It's the the actual salad picture that I took as though I were like Instagramming my food or something. One of those people at the Atlanta airport last week. That's an interesting choice, uh, salad. I'm uh, the airport. I always tell myself, no place for experiments. Bob doesn't know how to order food consistently. Right. I disagree. He because- orders. Wrong food from restaurants all the time. <laughs> because in that setting, like, I just in my head think airport and salad, it's just been sitting there for a while. Like, you want a high churn rate. You want like a cheeseburger or something or something that's not going to surprisingly kill you. See, it's funny you say that because the only other thing that I that I legitimately considered, because I needed something immediately and I needed something that I wasn't going to wait in line. No, no Chick-fil-A? There was. there. I saw like two Chick-fil-A's, I think, and they both had like, you know, 40 people in line. Oh, I see. I gotcha. I couldn't risk it. Even, even though it was Chick-fil-A. Te- <laughs> Chick-fil-A That's another tell, by the way. Did you go to the salad place and there's like only three people? That's what I'm saying. <laughs> so the only other place that I that I even considered was a it was a Jersey Mike's. And I get okay. to the Jersey Mike's because it was right next door to like the Popeye's or something. And Popeye's had like a billion people there. And it's like, nope, not getting Popeye's. Not going to happen. Jersey Mike's was completely empty. And I walk up. And there were like six Jersey Mike's employees just standing there looking at me like, is he going to be the one? Is he going to order some food? And, and like, it'd be one thing if it like in my head, if it's like a salad, it's like, oh, it's the worst that could happen with a salad. But like if there's right. deli meat that's been sitting there since yeah, like six I o'clock guess, yeah. this morning and it hasn't that's moved true. even a little bit like that's that's a little gross. Get a Philly steak from Jersey Mike's. I solved your problem. Well, it Ask that me would next have been time. helpful a week ago. Right. 
Because the, the thinking is the volume of business that they're doing, they're going through the, the food. If there had so been even two or three people in front of me at Jersey Mike's, I would have gotten a sub at Jersey Mike's. But it was the fact that I was the only one and immediately felt like I was in a weird spotlight as I walked in the general direction of Jersey Mike's. It's like, maybe not. Did you finish the salad or did you cut your losses? Because that's I another risk, you know. you goddamn right. Wow, $13? How, Are you kidding me? How, how long did the flight? No, that's a sunk cost, Bob. That's not the right way to think. Uh, what is this, like three hours, Atlanta, Denver? What do we... Yeah, something like that, Two, 240. So you eat something of questionable uh, uh, quality, and now you're a captive audience on a, on a flight for three yeah. hours. And while you're in the shitter, you're like, oh, $13 to hat. Probably not smart, but that was fine. My, the, the, belly, the belly was fine. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Just saying, don't take those risks. Anyway, it's a strong fucking 15 minutes we've done on airports, which is what, you know... <laughs> That's what that the people are here comedian for. from the 90s. Yeah, we fresh. got good feedback on the last episode. Like every like six months or so, we get we do an episode that apparently works because the only I never get like four weeks in a row where like four different people send me a text or an email and say, "Hey, listen to the episode. It was a good one this time. Good job," or whatever. Uh, it's always we stumble upon something that connects with people for some right. reason, and I get like four emails from that one episode. And that's what happened this this two weeks ago. So obviously, uh, we had to take last week off because we we can't possibly replicate that sort of success. <laughs> that's so soon after. You got to cool it, you know. We can't can't get the show too hot. Yeah. All right. Big piece of news that we would have talked about last week that we will in fact talk about right now is that. Yo, I always want to call him the other justice, the the one who retired, Breyer. For some reason, I could yeah. never figure out the difference between Breyer and Stevens. And I almost did it uh, just now. Breyer, in fact, retired many years ago. No, this is the Breyer. The Breyer is the one that's ah, leaving shit. now. Ah, you fucked. Did I fuck <laughs> it up? No, 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 no. You're just being consistent. You're just proving your own point. It's nice. Who, did, uh, are you comparing him to uh, Paul Stevens or whatever, the other guy? That yeah, who, who did uh, Sotomayor replace paul f tompkins oh boy john paul stevens if i had to guess john paul jones briar justice briar finally retired by the way in his like 80s right like 83 and he's like i don't yeah, want to die in like court that. i was like, kind of get close there buddy yeah rude and he's not actually retired so and it seems there there was some a brief amount of controversy in the 12 or 18 hours or something between it hitting the news and him actually confirming it that like Tom Brady retired. Oh, yeah, the Adam same Schechter thing that happened with too? Brady. Yeah, <laughs> which is that uh, somebody at the Biden White House apparently leaked this to somebody in the press before it was going to happen, and there was some some question a little bit about whether or not maybe this was done to help usher him out the door to to, to make oh, it a total inevitability rather than just a hopeful one. Maybe it was getting cold feet, and they were like, "All right." Let's right. just let's just leak it. At first, my first thought was like, "How is Chuck Schumer going to fuck this up?" And then, like, uh, <laughs> and then somebody had a stroke. <laughs> the, the Democratic senator from New Mexico, whose and name I like couldn't 49. tell you to save my They're, life right now. Literally, every politician is like ninety-nine years old, and the forty-nine-year-old is the one with like this health emergency that's kind of hanging right. the Senate in the, by a thread. So the Democrats are down to 49 who can actually show up for work. 
meaning that it would be without some Republican assistance. If they had to get this judge through right now, uh, they would need a couple of Republicans to come on over. For the purposes of our discussion here, uh, we're not going to discuss Breyer's long history on the bench and any of his jurisprudence or any of the decisions that he uh, wrote that mattered, because largely, in fact, he didn't write a whole lot of decisions that mattered or were of much interest to the general public. The, the one thing I will say, though, this is not specific to any cases, it's remarkable how reliable liberal judges are when they're 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 brought on they, they are who you think they are they stay the course their ideology doesn't change it doesn't like they're very reliable uh which is not i mean who are the Kennedy? all the other people who were brought in by republicans david Souter was another example yeah, O'Connor. they just kind of like moderate their positions maybe it's like untenable the conservative position over the i don't know I'm not making a judgment on it. I'm just saying whomever they bring to replace him, it's going to be this, you know, very reliable vote for the next 30 years. Some, Abe, might argue that there's a more intellectual honesty on the right side of the ledger in this case, and that the liberal justices are driven more by pure commitment to ideology than they are to uh, higher intellectual pursuits, perhaps. I'm not making uh, maybe that, argument, that but, but some yeah, might some uh, might present that argument. Right, that's a very charitable interpretation. But there is a mixed bag, at least on the right, because there are some that are ideological. I mean, you can set your watch to to Thomas, right? Right. Whereas Roberts or even like the Kavanaugh's will sometimes like, oh, he kind of voted this way or that. But maybe the position exposed to all of these challenges falls apart. Maybe that's what it is on the right, right? Where it's like, this is what I thought for all these years, but then having to like defend it in, in argument. Yeah, and I don't think it's, I'm not suggesting that the liberals are necessarily or even remotely intellectually inferior. Uh, I think Kagan has actually been a surprisingly good justice and a, and a good, not necessarily that I agree with all of the positions that she's come down on, but she's fun to read. Stevens was never particularly fun to read, I didn't think. The episode that everyone liked, was there a lot of Supreme Court justice talk in it or maybe not a lot? Yeah. Anyway, uh, the thing that is perhaps if we want to tickle our listeners' uh, content bone a little bit here, what people do want to talk about, as is clear, is uh, the race issue. Oh, Tom Brady retiring. You guys don't know anything. It's time that this country finally had an honest conversation about race in this this country, Abe. It's time to (laughs) sort this whole thing out and... It's Black History Month. Be, oh, be, right. um, you know, thoughtful. respectful. Yeah. Yeah. So back in the uh, back in the campaign, way back in 2020, I think, perhaps even going back further than that, Joe Biden made a promise. Joe Biden promised that if he was elected and had the honor of selecting a, another Supreme Court justice to serve on the court for an just disgusting amount of time, just a an utterly indefensible uh, term of service, he would appoint the court's first black woman. He made that promise to his constituents. It was believed or thought to be, at the time, good politics, the sort of thing that politicians do. They make promises about who they're going to appoint to the Supreme Court. And he appears to be firmly committed to that particular promise and is in fact going to nominate a black woman to the court. Abe, was that a good thing to promise? 
Well, I and th- is it okay that he's going to follow through on that promise now? So maybe my timeline is off, but I believe this public statement or commitment uh, during the campaign came either as a result of or on the heels of the Clyburn endorsement. Basically, it was maybe Clyburn got him over the top in South Carolina, and then that kind of started Joe Biden's comeback where all, you know, Klobuchar and all of them got out of the way. And then if that's the case, then it's going to be the lady from South Carolina, right? Maybe. I, I don't think. Uh, no, maybe. If, I, if, if I don't you're think saying he added that, that his promise was contingent on a conversation that he had with Jim Clyburn, then there's no way that it can be anybody but the one specific black lady judge from South Carolina who is close with Clyburn. Like that has Yeah, that but has Clyburn, Clyburn would not add that extra string. I mean, that's a big get as it is. A commitment to a black woman to serve. Now, as far as good idea or whatever, I mean, it's not the first time this happened. I mean, this is the first time it's like two different uh, qualifiers, you know, like Reagan with a woman and Trump with a woman and now a black woman. Now, if the person is qualified, all the other stuff, to me at least, doesn't matter, right? Because all of the other stuff is like you, it's either spoken or unspoken, right? And in the past, it was unspoken. You just chose a white dude, you know, maybe right. a Catholic, maybe a Jewish Also, person. sometimes unspoken is better. Right. Yes. <laughs> like, Sometimes. It, it, not to. But, not that everything has to be a referendum on the Trump era. But right. if there's some things that we learned, it's that. Uh, sometimes what we want is that for the unspoken things to remain unspoken, and for the the pretty little lies that keep society fucking functioning properly, uh, that that keep us all moving in the same general direction, aren't necessarily all bad things. Right. Right. And committing to saying, I'm going to select a black woman and then following through and, and, and selecting a black woman just seems to me to be such an unnecessary way of going about the process of ending up with a black woman on the Supreme Court. I don't, I don't believe. Do you that, want him to go back in time and unsay it? No, but what I don't. So I don't believe that Jim Clyburn based his endorsement of Joe no, Biden. Yeah, right. On. Joe Biden's promise that he was going to deliver a black woman to the Supreme Court if elected president. I don't think that's the case. I think that it that it's an unnecessary promise to make to a constituency that you already have, right? But, and so but, so it's it's not actually a political promise to a constituency that you're trying to lock down. Instead, it's a virtue signal to a constituency that doesn't necessarily trust you, right? This wasn't a promise directed at middle-aged black women in South Carolina. This was a promise directed at the insane youthful activist class on the left Right. saying we're, we're going to get us a black woman on the court, right? That's who it was a promise right. to, mostly to fucking white people, to be clear. Right, maybe. And, yeah. And it's one, it's one thing for it to be the case that I'm going to look at the most qualified people in the country and then end up selecting a black woman, right? Because there's no doubt in my mind that there are a handful, a very large handful, uh, who knows how many even, Binders full of women, even. Binders full of black (laughs) African-American women with law degrees who went to Harvard or Yale or what have you, who would be perfectly qualified to serve on the Supreme Court. I don't doubt it for a second. We passed the Civil Rights Act 
50 fucking years ago, right? Like, this has been, it's no longer a surprise that there are qualified black women coming out of our nation's finest institutions who can do that and who have, in fact, spent the last 20 years in the judicial system, serving on the judiciary, uh, on the bench, qualifying themselves for this sort of a position. But I I can't also pretend like it doesn't bother me that he says everyone else need not apply. Is it possible that he had her in mind from the get-go? So by saying, also, I promise right. I'm going to nominate a black woman, like he knew who he was talking about, so he was just like and it's a two birds, hand. one stone thing. Yeah, it's like, now, you know how this is not the same thing because this is for vice president, but historically they're like, oh, I'm going to pick this person as my vice president to balance a ticket. I'm a northerner and I'm going to get some hillbilly from the south or somebody from the west or a woman or whatever nonsense they do to say, okay, to get to the electoral college magic number 270, we need these states and this is going to help me with that. In this case, you are picking someone who's qualified, right? And if he just got the black candidate who's going to, he's going to pick whenever at the end of this month, there, people, and, and without the promise, right? People are going to say, oh, look at that. Of course, he's doing a thing, right? I mean, if he didn't announce it and then he picked a black woman, which, by the way, has never happened, right? So either way, this would have been a historic thing. People would be cynical in their analysis to say he's doing it because not only are his independent numbers down, all of his numbers are down. What you're saying is that people would do a racism after he made the selection. Yeah, because they're like, oh, how come none of the other presidents picked a black woman? He must be doing it for some political reason, right? So you can't win either way. Might as well get a little bump in Might the polls well among the your base. You said you were going to do. My problem isn't having said it. My yes, problem. Yes, but he can't go back in time and unsay he, it. He actually easily could have. He could no, have no, said, but also, "Look," and I, I, he could have said, "Look, I said that during the campaign, and I and I mean to stick by it. But upon reflection, I think it would be irresponsible of me not to." Look at all of the available candidates, and 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 here's the list, and it's 25 people long, and here there are seven highly qualified black women on this list, right? And he picks one of them. I will look at them all; they will right. all be properly vetted, and then I'll I'll make my decision, and right. then he can choose the black woman anyway, right? That what, would be. What, what benefit is there in do, in doing it in that sequence? Because then you have not made an outright statement about. A, a racial and gender quota system that says that I'm going to base my decision on nothing more, or or at a, at a, at a, it's not nothing more, and that's where you start getting in trouble. But I'm going to base my decision right. entirely on the phenotypical weirdnesses of the individual in question, right? And right. that's fucked up. I don't see how it's anything but fucked up. It's not the way we're meant to understand other people. It's, it's it's a wrong way of it's a it's a fundamentally morally wrong way of approaching the question, and no, that's but, what but bothers that, me. Is, no, it, but, is it politically expedient? Maybe. Right. Is it like and, and and is it actually fine? Because as I said, there's no doubt that she will be fully qualified. Absolutely. Yeah. So at the end of the and, day, it doesn't matter. And in fact, it would benefit the Republicans the less qualified she is because they don't care. This right. is a liberal replacing a liberal, right? Right. It's not changing the dynamic, yeah. It's not going to change the dynamic on the court. She's unlikely to sway from a general sort of liberal orthodoxy that that is well understood when it comes to these matters, right? And that's not because of the color of her skin or the or the gender. It's just because of a, the the fact. And 
Mitch McConnell isn't even going to put up a fight here, right? That's the thing. The Republicans aren't even going to bother to put up a fight. So the more insane a person that he ends up choosing, the better it is for the Republicans. Because it doesn't right. matter how completely bonkers the person on the court is. That only benefits conservatives if she turns out to be a complete whack job. Because they can always use her to point at her to be to say, look at what happens when you let liberals appoint people to the court. They turn into lunatics. I'm not saying that's what's going Right. to happen i'm just saying the republicans should hope that he puts some lunatic on the court because it doesn't matter to any case that's going to be decided at any point in the next 20 years probably i do see that in some cases it is preferable to leave it unsaid but the immoral calculation has been going on forever when it comes to these positions and it was always done like you're disqualified if you're not one you know and it's not even just like white man like white man from like like three schools right it's like yeah. it's a very narrow field of of potential candidates right and that's like broadening just a little bit but still it's, it's still the same type of person i mean the katanji brown jackson person who's likely gonna get it i don't know why they're going through all this who could it be and who's it gonna be it's gonna be her uh but she's from the same mold as all the other people that have come through she's just black and she's a woman right and so like if all of the other things are checked, and this is one of the considerations that the president or the then candidate wanted to say, I'm going to do that. To me, it's very similar to what Trump promised uh, and, and what, what Reagan promised. Yeah, preferable so, to pretend that you're going through the whole thing, but I don't know. It, it, it didn't seem to be any it, – it's kind of like it reminds me of the the whole bribery farce. Like as long as you don't like come out and say you're bribing somebody, like at least – will pretend that you we're not doing that. So like just pretend you're not doing a thing. To me, I don't it, it doesn't make a difference to me. Because you're doing it anyways. I mean, they were gonna pick a black candidate. I'm not sure they'll get a second, you know, in this first term. So what, they weren't gonna pick a black justice? I've said it as clearly as I can. I'm not suggesting that the outcome necessarily should be or could be any different. I'm just saying that it's fucking You're gross. saying he should get in a time machine and unsay a thing. <laughs> no, I'm saying that that the there are people who say that it is the morally correct thing to do to declare that you're putting a black woman on the court because there's never been a black woman on the court and to make no question about it. And I think that's just a wrong stance. I think that the outcome can be good. The outcome can be right that you get a black woman on the court. And yeah, does that matter in some sort of weird way? Yeah, I think it does in the same way that it mattered that we had a black president in this country but apparently it doesn't fucking matter right <laughs> so that's the other thing that we have to keep in mind is that it actually doesn't fucking matter because there will still be fucking mountains to climb and 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 40 years to go until we get to the promised land which we will never actually arrive at so, so how is this different than pivot to sports the coaching thing in the nfl right the thing is it's ultimately you hire who you know like a lot of people do frame it around race and whatever. But the reason why a lot of the, the in the sports lens, uh, they weren't getting the jobs because the people who are making the decisions, they have like a select group of people and associates and who they interact with. And then they'll pick them. They don't see in whatever linebackers coach from whatever as a head coaching type, but all these young people that are coming through the ranks, they're either children of somebody that used to be some hot shit or some, connection to the past right and they happen to be white and it's it's just pure nepotism the N the nfl is just why. a purely nepotistic league <laughs> what's odd about um the head coaching 
issue is that the turnover is so high that clearly their process sucks, right? You're having to hire coaches every like two and a half years because your selection process is terrible. No, also because actually NFL coaches, it doesn't matter. Like with the exception of like five, it doesn't fucking matter right. who, it, your, who yeah, your coach yeah. is. Yeah. And Mike Tomlin is a terrific coach. And you know what? If he was fired, I think the Steelers in a couple of years, they'd probably have very similar record to, to, to a non-Mike Tomlin coached team. And I love Mike Tomlin. I would be thrilled right. if Mike Tomlin was the coach of my favorite team. Like that would be better. But you are right that there are so many other things, a lot of other variables that make a good organization. So like, I mean, this is quarterbacks, but Matt Stafford went from just like the shittiest thing ever with the Lions. Just he's still the same quarterback, right? That's in the Super Bowl now. But like he for many years and before that Calvin Johnson and before that Barry Sanders are just great players. I mean Matt Stafford's not as good as them, but like good players or great players or Hall of Fame players in a bad system and there's nothing you can do. But the the underlying just to connect the two points with the Supreme Court and the, the coaches, beyond a certain point it's just like discretion, right? Like there's not like one person above all others there's like you know this head coaching hiring process if you get that to like three like uh, uh, however they whittle it down then after that it's just like things outside of like coaching competencies like yeah, i don't know maybe good rapport with them or some other thing right and so if you're down to seven or ten supreme court nominees and like two of them or three of them black and just say i'm just gonna carve out the others and pick them to me, that's like on the discretion side of things, you, you didn't sacrifice anything. And on the head coaching front, they, they have kind of made a mockery of, of the Rooney Rule, which was designed with good intents, like expose people to other candidates, you know, at least hear them out. But it seems like they are just tuning them out. They're just going through it, this performance. So everybody knows, in case you don't, the Rooney Rule says that ownership or GMs or what have you, when they're going through the process of hiring coaches or head coaches specifically. I don't know if it applies to does it does it apply I to think coordinators it too? It goes down yeah, I think it goes down I don't know what level assistant coaches level, but it's not just the head coach. Okay. So but they have to interview at minimum one person of color or minority candidate. Didn't they bump it up to two recently? Position. I think they did. Did they bump it up to two? I think they two? recently like okay. bumped two. it up. A lot of people have kind of criticized the Rooney rule uh for being, oh, you're making them put on this farce but like if the, the organization just did an honest interview process and you select whomever you select that's fine but like don't have it to a where black coaches are like i'm not even gonna bother because from the sources and my friends they basically have already got somebody in mind so they're just kind of going through the right just as a formality just to check a box right and so just at least be open to interviewing the people and then pick whomever you're going to pick, you know? They can't, like, mandate and say, you know how um, HBO's hard knocks? I mean, no team really wants to do it, but they're like, if you're a new coach, if you have a new coach or if you're – some other criteria, then you're excluded from the pool. Uh, and otherwise, you're one of the eligible teams that we can pick, right? So, like, they can't do something like that where they're like, you know – after the third head coaching search, one of those three have to be black, right? Like, if, so if you say no this time, the next time a job comes up, you'll get one more crack at it, and then you have to hire. Like, they couldn't have a strict rule like that, right? So this is as strict as they can get, basically right. giving the opportunities for head coaches. And these fucking assholes should just 
be honest in the interview process and pick whomever. Not a big ask. Many apologies for allowing Abe to rant so at such <laughs> length about the Rooney rule there, but our internet was going in and out, and I couldn't interrupt him. That might be the longest uninterrupted speech Abe has given on this podcast in 12 years or something. Anyway, I don't have any particular problems with the Rooney rule. I think that's all well and good, and obviously it's bad that we get an outcome like with Flores here. It comes up because Brian Flores, the former head coach of the Miami Dolphins, was accidentally texted by Bill Belichick, where Belichick offers his congratulations to Brian for getting the job before Flores had even interviewed for it, suggesting perhaps that the interview process was a sham from the get-go and that the Bills coach, Brian, whatever the fuck his last name is, uh, who's going, in fact, to be the next Giants head coach, had interviewed, and Belichick just texted the wrong Brian congratulations before Flores had even had a chance to interview for the job. You know what's... Uh I, I do wonder how much a role the the fact that we have a Rooney rule in the f- first place. I wonder what role it plays in in, in the fact that people don't take it seriously. Because I imagine the owners and the people that are making decisions don't think of themselves as racist. Right? Nobody ever thinks, unless you're like some hillbilly guy from Idaho, right? They don't think of themselves. I'm just this big bad racist person, right? And so, right. like, when you tell them you have to go through this extra step. They're going to be like, how dare you, right? They're going to grow resentful and they're going to like not do what you want them or what they think uh, you want them to do. It kind of reminds me of last year when there was all this push about uh, Breyer. Hey, get the fuck out, old man. Like, don't be another RBG, right? Right. And I was thinking like, maybe don't push him so much because if you keep on pressuring him in this way, in this public way, you're not giving him room for him to exit gracefully to say that he did so independently and you're running out of time because it's going to be the midterms next year i thought the window had closed kind of right because it was kind of like right into the primary season of the midterm except you're making my argument about saying it has to be a black woman for me like it's the same exact thing like i just don't understand why it needs to be said so explicitly it's similar but the difference is like biden took it on himself because he I, i I'm telling you of all of the things that he could undo the last 18 months, <laughs> this is nowhere near uh, anywhere near the top, right? No, like, I recognize that. Again, I'm not right? saying that there's a great I'm not saying there's a great deal of harm here in a political right. sense or that there's anything that he actually could or would undo. I just think that it's worth pointing out that it is not a sign of progress that you say I'm going to nominate a black woman, absolutely, and and no 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 one else need apply, and right. then he goes and he does it. Like it, it's just, it's going to bring up his his numbers among his base, a good chunk. It's not even his base because his base doesn't really exist. As you you look at the right. numbers where he's at thirty percent approval, he doesn't actually have a base. Like I said earlier, the only thing that that is. Uh, shoring up is his bona fides among the more progressive end of the spectrum. It has nothing to do with his base. His base is not the progressive left of the Democrat Party. It's the it's the in theory, if he had one, it would be the more centrist, moderate wing of the Democratic right, Party, along with uh, potentially achievable conservatives. They are part of his shaky coalition, right? Of yeah. all the different groups. It's not doing much on the independent front, but. On the yeah, but, and also by that same token, forgive the use of the word token there, but by that same token, who is he, who's going to remember this come 2024? Like, who, to whom does this actually matter? 
in 2024 in terms of uh, Biden's support. And it doesn't. It doesn't matter to anyone, which is why I think and it's and it's foolish of me. Yes. But it's why I th it's why I think that he should have said at the start of this process, I know what I said and I, I intend to look hard at every single African-American woman uh, who even has an outside shot of serving on the Supreme Court. But I am going to also look at a list of other qualified individuals, and then I'll make my decision about who's most qualified for the court. And then, yes, he would have absolutely no choice but to pick a black woman. Right, but not at only that, point, right? he, he would just get a lot of shit. This guy couldn't put build that better over the top he can do all these other things and, and he's going back on his like i don't see what advantage by the that way seems unnecessary if the biden uh shop they listen to our podcast do not do what bob just said just stay the course get your two birds with one stone well and that's little... sort of the same but opposite thing of the rooney rule where it's like yeah 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 i'll hire some white dudes but right. we know i'm not gonna hire them Right. <laughs> like, don't bother. Just say you're not going to bother. Don't bother. Right. Just say Save everyone the time. He'll open up the competition for the second nominee that's never right. going to come. The funny thing is that there's actually there's a similar thing going on here, even more than the stupid race thing, which is that it, both of these things, whether it's the Supreme Court or the, the legal elite legal circles that these people all move in. That's all nepotism, too. That's all the same three fucking schools in the Northeast. It's all the same. Like, it's very, very rare that anybody gets that is true. appointed at, at I mean, this level who didn't go to Harvard or Yale or Princeton or whatever. Not only that, and, like, they clerk for one another. Like, I think this is like the second or third time this has happened in a row where the person, like, uh, if the front runner um, is, in fact, nominated, she clerked for uh, Stevens. Uh, and I think she's like she's related by marriage to Paul right. Ryan. That you know, so it's like they're all, it's all cosmetics, basically. Right, and that's the same with the NFL. There's 140 something people currently at NFL in NFL jobs who are related to each other or to former coaches or former owners or whatever in the hierarchy of the league. On a human level, I can understand it. I mean, from what I gather, these people spend a ridiculous amount of time on this stupid fucking sport, right? Like 14 hour days of. You will. You just run up the middle. Like I don't understand all this thought that goes into it, and you do the same like three plays. But if you're gonna spend time with somebody, day you know more than your own family, you would want to be around people that you like. You know, so that's why they kind of keep hiring people. They, it, the they raw know. numbers are jarring. When it's like the higher up you go, the less and less black people there are. Right. Like yeah. that. Just there's something stinky there. Right. We can uh, move on from the discussion of race in America as it relates to the Supreme Court and the NFL. And the NFL. Abe wants to say something else here. Go ahead, Abe. Well, I, I thought you were transitioning to uh, COVID because I was going to say, I was looking at the calendar and I'm like, when is the State of the Union? You know, like it's usually January or February. It is like March 1st. It's like, got to be one of the latest State of the Union Have they announced speeches. it? I didn't even realize that yeah, they had announced it yet. It's the first of March, Tuesday, and I was like, "Wow, what a what a time that they set up!" Because do you think that this is like three, four weeks from now? Numbers are already falling off a cliff. A lot of these states are making a big show about saying, "In the next few weeks, we'll be done with the mask at the schools," and blah blah blah. Do you think that the timing of the State of the Union was set up in such a way to where it's not going to be a mission accomplished thing? Because that happened. Memorial Day last 
here. But do you think it's going to be a state of the union where everybody's going to be in the building? Because, you know, last time I think they did that spaced out kind of thing. Do you think that they, they yeah. did March 1st on the off chance that the numbers would, would allow them to I don't do know. a full... What you're suggesting, what you're suggesting now, will they unfurl a mission accomplished banner? No, probably not. But no. what you're asking basically is, does Joe Biden or can Joe Biden, can the Democrats tell a happy story about the future of America? Even in the face of good, happy yes. evidence... Will Joe Biden be able to roll out in front of Congress and tell a happy story? Is the Democrat Democratic coalition, that, that tenuous group of uh, disparate groups that from the progressive left to the 30% who still think that Joe Biden and, and co. are doing a great job, do they want to hear a happy story about the future of America? For the people outside of Twitter and the other social media hubs, yes. I, I don't think I think people will be will welcome that if if he and especially if the I mean obviously the the trend line has to hold. But can Joe Biden deliver a happy story when he's surrounded with the sort of people who seem to be not ever happy with anything that's going on? I think so because, like, I, I keep thinking that this group that you speak of is uh, ever shrinking group that like wants it to be. Forever, because I mean, the numbers, you know, the death numbers are not good, right? <laughs> but I can't imagine anybody wants this to continue. I know that we're talking about COVID, but it's a similar way that you talk about uh, this woke stuff, where it's just an ever shrinking group of people and it's just going to go away someday. In the face of <laughs> constant mounting evidence that the culture war is worse than ever, oh, whether my- we're talking about the woke people on one side or the or the anti-woke on the other side. And Abe's like, ah, it's, it's fine. It's just a few people. It's just going to go I, away. I, my prediction is still on target, Bob. To stay the course. Abe, Abe is Abe is constantly in like it's March 10th of 2020 at the start of the pandemic, and he's uh, it's just going to go away by Easter. Is Abe's take on It'll obnoxious people on either side of the political spectrum? But tell me, any opportunity for good news, people will embrace it. And so, like, if the numbers hold, they keep falling. Hopefully, the death numbers come down because those are way too high. March 1st. A few days after that, spring forward, you know, the stupid clock changes. Nice gimmick. So for what it's worth, and I, I don't, I don't want to start uh, being purveyors of misinformation ourselves, certainly by, by no means. But given the fact that we know that the count of COVID in terms of COVID hospitalizations in uh, – I saw a study, somebody talking about a study of uh, Boston area hospitals, and he – this is a – you know, well-respected guy within the within the fucking public health establishment. I forget who it was, but he was talking about how something like in excess of sixty percent of the people recorded as COVID hospitalizations in the Boston area are in fact just uh, COVID coincidentals, and right. that th- these are people who got tested on intake for other things, whether it's scheduled surgeries or because they broke an arm or something like that. And over over sixty percent of them were not were they were COVID positive, but they were not in the hospital for COVID. But they go in as COVID hospitalizations. So I'm not saying that the death number isn't bad, but I am suggesting that I think that at this point in the pandemic, we're probably overcounting relative to where we were undercounting before, and that in fact people are not dying 
of COVID in the same way that they were two years ago. It wouldn't make any sense if they were but what, because we have therapeutics now. We know how to treat the thing. And because so many people are vaccinated against it and therefore present with much milder cases of the disease. Right. That, that second part I do agree with. And I suspect, I don't know what the, the last count is, but they, they, they still haven't scaled up the pills, right, to where they can distribute it so broadly, right? But I can't imagine that the death numbers are that far off. I mean, the hospitalizations, I did hear the same thing at different locations where by protocol or whatever reason, they just test everybody that comes in and the numbers look a certain way. But if they died, I mean, right. I just, they didn't die I from want to see wounds or whatever, right? They died. No, no, of, no, I'm not. And I'm not saying that these are people who were run over by cars who then died right. and then got tested, like that sort of thing. But I would love to see a full accounting of people who actually died of COVID. And you don't actually, I know that you see the raw numbers. I'm not denying right. that the raw numbers are there, but I would like a more complete accounting of what those numbers actually are. Do, I, I suspect that even if they if they adjusted that, and you know how with, uh, maybe this is like the labor jobs numbers, which like they came back to like, oh, we were off by a million over the last three months. Let's uh, revise that up and then revise some earlier months down. Maybe yeah. they'll do something like that with the deaths, but I suspect that it's still an undercount, even if you factor in the latest surge of deaths, right? Because of the excess deaths number, like I yeah, suspect that, the number— and that's certainly an interesting number. And then you wonder how much of the excess death number can be directly attributable to COVID rather than attributable to the steps that we had to take as a necessary action of, uh, of right. reacting to COVID. Right. And not, not to say that— we should have done nothing. That's not at all what I'm saying. I'm just I'm interested in getting a better accounting of the numbers from honest brokers of information, and I don't think that we can say that we've been dealing with strictly honest brokers of information. I, I think at the public from the public health apparatus. I, I don't think maliciously, but you're right. Uh, I think the most honest broker of information is time. Right? Give it enough time, and you look back, yep, and see the, what happens, and the number will will settle. But I am shocked. At how high the death numbers are, I thought all everything else would go up. I think it's still Delta. Okay, because it's not. It's ninety nine and no, a half no, no, percent. No, 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 no. I mean, people who have been in the hospital for months are dying. Yeah. Could this it, like, t over two thousand a day? Good lord. I do want to talk about uh, the Joe Rogan experience oh, that we've my all boy been Joe. living Why? through. Joe Rogan uh, got in trouble a couple of weeks ago. For, I don't know, people got fed up with the fact that he was talking to people that weren't towing the line on the COVID stuff. One uh, of those people was Neil Young. Yeah, I don't particularly uh, want to get into the details or in the, into the weeds of defending or not defending the various claims made on the Joe Rogan show, uh, which is just basically a live radio show that he records for three or four hours at a stretch and then puts on the internet. And I... Don't think right. should be it used held to be to live, but yeah, sure. But it's basically it's functionally live. Uh, he doesn't right. edit it. He doesn't make any meaningful changes to the experience. He used to put it up live on YouTube right away. Now I guess they record it and then put the video and the audio up on Spotify a few hours later or a day or two later or something like that. Yeah, because it's got an exclusive with Spotify. I hear one of the reasons why he stopped the live thing. Not that this is important, but because you know sometimes they would drunkenly play music and their algorithms would like kick them off because it's like okay. protected or copyright or some 
So if they do it this way, they can at least so he's exclusive get rid of to Spotify. Music. So on Google here, I couldn't download his podcast. That's right. You cannot get his podcast on other podcast catching devices. You cannot, in I've fact, I've never noticed. You cannot, in fact, say. You can find the Joe Rogan experience uh, wherever you get your podcast. Wherever yeah. it is you get your podcasts. I see. You have to go to Spotify. By the way, do you think that well, that it, could it, it it appeared that everything was going in that direction where everything would be behind a subscription model? I mean, Spotify is offering it for free, but that's not their end game, right? They're, they're going to buy up enough popular podcasts and then they would have a premium. Uh, where right. you would have to, do you think that this experience where I'm sure the CEO of Spotify and all the people working there don't appreciate this uh, headache right do, do you think that they're going to stop making exclusive things because if this was available broadly wherever you listen to whatever this nobody would get shit for it because it's distributed everywhere. It'll be like an RSS thing and you can get it right. through any platform. But now that it's exclusively Spotify, it is exclusively Spotify's problem. And now they're just eating a lot of shit. This is specifically inside baseball that nobody should care about. But what's funny is that Spotify made two very large investments in podcasting platforms, basically. So the, the Reply All network of podcasts that they bought up last year... And then immediately reply all like the the bellwether show the the only show that mattered in the entire reply all podcasting network that they bought this wild like one of the most wildly popular podcasts out there. I've Noth never heard of it. Nothing like well, that's the thing is like there's the Joe Rogan podcast and then there's the National Public Radio podcasts and then there's like everything else. Right, but um, it's popular. I mean, I I, I listen to it. I listen right, to it when popular. when the wheels fell off. <laughs> Right, and then they buy it, and the wheels immediately fell off that show, and they go off the air for six months. But do you? Uh, but you know what? Because the hosts tore each other apart. Right. It's it, in, in a hilarious blow up of of a question of cultural appropriation about like Indian food or something. Right. I don't even remember. The because basically, details. yeah, it was a, doing an expose against like Condé Nast or I don't. know. I'm not of that world, but apparently it was like a food video blog website and they weren't featuring enough like non-white people, blah, blah, blah. And it turns out the hosts who were dressing down the other company, they themselves were doing some of the same stuff internally. Uh, even if some of them were minorities or just like trying to maintain their power. Uh, apparently it also came down to like one of the hosts and therefore executive producers of the show was like, not so sure about unions. Yes. And like therefore, therefore he was a racist. Right. Like that, that but, that's how stupid it was. But what's 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 odd is and and the older I get, the more I realize like you need to be humble enough to not get into these things, right? When you're like dressing down somebody else or you're looking down on somebody else as some sort of like evil thing, just like they're human. Surely I'm sure they've made mistakes, right? But they're not like not everybody's like this big evil, right? And so like a lot of the examples that they were pointing to that company made it sound like they were like the worst thing ever. And then when the same kind of things were alleged against them, they look like idiots, right? In this Joe Rogan experience situation, a similar thing is happening to where uh, there was like that video clip of him just like just hurling uh, the n-word out right, right. wait let's let's i want to walk before we get into the n-word stuff yeah. i want to walk it back to the alleged misinformation okay. as as spewed by rogan and his guests on 
this show. And what the thing that got every the ball rolling was Neil Young, of all the fucking people, deciding that he was going to pull his music from Spotify because of the misinformation being spread about COVID-19 on the on the Spotify platform by by Joe Rogan. And he, Neil Young wrote a an angry letter to the manager that said it's either uh, me or it's Joe Rogan. And uh, Spotify was like, "Oh, we're gonna we gotta keep Joe Rogan." <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> on principle, by the way, that is a ridiculous ask. That is a ridiculous right. ask. Just like leave if you want to, but don't. Come on, don't be an asshole. And and this has been done a thousand times on the internet since, especially since it's been now ten days since this started, or or longer even. But we're talking about Neil Young, who released an album about the evils of GMO foods. Like an, an entire concept album that he released a few years ago I about how G- GMO foods are going to kill you. This is the guy who's concerned about misinformation, right? Which is by the uh, way, how's that coming along? I haven't heard too much of that argument. Yeah, because GMO foods no, are good. GMOs are good, yeah. and they have saved <laughs> countless millions of remember, billions of lives. I remember riding around Atlanta, and every once in a blue moon, somebody over a bridge has some the GMO devil, whatever. And I'm like, I don't know, but like. Earlier, like I was saying, time will solve it, you know? In a few years, we'll look yeah. back and say, oh. No, it'll be good. Yeah. Don't worry about and it. it was fine. Just to make it perfectly clear, I think it's ridiculous that Joe Rogan would be kicked off of the Spotify platform because of some things that some guests said on his stupid podcast show. Right. What's interesting about the misinformation allegation, and, you know, that's made often these days it seems like it's born out of a frustration basically the outcome has been bad right people haven't done what people like neil young think is like the civic duty or the right thing to do right and so those are choices made at the individual level right you can ascribe the reasons for that for many different things but like them him pointing to to joe rogan as like the focal source of that misinformation doesn't seem to make sense right like people seek the information, misinformation or not, right? And they can seek this anywhere, right? It's not like an exclusive thing to Joe Rogan. So like if on the off chance that the CEO of Spotify, they fucked a hundred million dollars, we'll figure out the money later. Yes, old geezer, we'll get rid of Joe Rogan. That would solve what problem? It would not solve anything, right? So like the whole thing doesn't make sense. It's just like, I'm frustrated and I'm just kind of lashing out. They're not going to, I'm sure Neil Young knew, knew that they weren't going to do anything, but this was going to raise the profile and maybe somebody else would have joined and some of the other old people have joined. But I, I don't think that he thought that they're actually going to remove it, but he's not a source for information. He's just some guy. He was on fear factor talking right. out of his ass. The, the fact that he's popular doesn't change that fact. And also, just like a year or two ago, he was talking about that big monkey foot thing, that guy that's like walking around in the woods, right? He said a lot of dumb shit, right? He's, I mean, I've listened to plenty of Joe Rogan stuff. A lot, a lot of dumb shit, right? So, like, focusing on this dumb shit that someone else on his show said, plenty of room to criticize, but this idea of, like, getting rid of somebody doesn't make sense. What does it mean for what anyone is allowed to say anywhere at any time, right? So I'm not, I'm not saying that we all have a platform like Joe Rogan does, and I'm not saying that there's some slippery slope. That's going to uh, end with all of us not being permitted to say anything. But it's a profoundly weird instinct to me to tell somebody that they're not allowed to talk about a certain subject because they're not the right, they, they don't have the right kind of expertise, right? Now, and he brought on people 
who uh, agree or disagree with them, uh, call them cranks or quacks or what have you, they're fully fucking credentialed people, right? right. The instinct I suspect is that they, there's a lot of people that think that they can control things. They can control how people behave if you control whatever. On the evidence of what? Exactly. <laughs> so basically, is it not only wrong on principle, but this is actually, in practice, it would make things worse. Like, you would not be in a better position implementing these like if anyone says something sideways they have to like i don't know go time out like it, people will be like ooh, it's like almost like a strike sand effect kind of thing like they don't want me to listen to so and so and then they get an even bigger audience it's like be humble enough to know that you can't control what other people do in all cases right sometimes the numbers are bad th that's where we are right like I, and i think it's just people for whatever reason they believe a certain way about things but like this is not gonna fix that like this would just make it worse. And whose job is it ultimately determine what is true and what is false and what is misinformation and what is good information? And who are we going to leave that up to? And the answer is we're going to leave it up to the fucking algorithms and Google and Facebook, which is going to call my Facebook's been calling my website uh, misinformation and spam for the last three fucking years. And there's nothing there's literally nothing that I can do about it. Right. So I'm unable to communicate on that platform in a way that would allow me to promote the fucking brand. Right. And it's not for anything that I did wrong so far as I can tell. Right. And if you have certain there's a story about Google searching your photos that you and Amazon searching your your photos in, in the cloud and then alerting the police if they find anything untoward, right? right. And I've seen uh, different stories of people posting online warnings that they're getting from Google Drive. So everybody's got, if you have a Google account, you have a Google Drive account, which backs up your Gmail for the first 15 gig or what have right. you. And then you can pay for more. I pay for 200 gig of, of Google storage. And if Google determines that there's something in my uploads that, that violates their terms of service, do you think with Google that has like, uh, I don't know, 3 billion customers basically, <laughs> right? Like half the globe. Yeah. If I get flagged on there, is there going to be an appeals process that makes any goddamn sense whatsoever? Do you not have I, a second email? I always assume that one of these companies is going to do some things. I would have like... But how many different cloud storage options do I need? How many redundancies do I need to have one more? to make sure... To make <laughs> always one more, yes. To make sure that in the event that uh, Amazon Web Services determines that there's something dirty in some story that I wrote and I saved to their cloud or Microsoft OneDrive, where you I have, have that on the hard drive, no? Sure, I have plenty of things written saved on the hard drive, but I also have like the bulk of any, everything that I've ever written that I know for sure it's in the Google Drive. And if Google decides that I violated their terms of service and locks me out of that, then I've lost like everything yeah, that's true. functionally. Yeah. Oh, you should back it up. Yeah, I should back it up. But then a computer like I'm, I'm not we're not talking about my specific instance no, right. here. I'm talking about the but entirely you're not. The, you're talking about the giant picture. I yeah, know. the entirely unacceptable fact of handing over all of our lives to these un completely unaccountable corporations that are going to ultimately make all of these decisions for us and 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 trying to play fucking moral police uh like neil young is trying to do and he gets to decide what is and is not acceptable and it just so happens like and it's neil young of all people right. he's got the full backing of the entire of the man like the the entire man is behind neil young and he's spent the last 60 years of his life railing against the man right and now he's busy trying to turn the man to his power but you Gross. know i guess that's what happens when you get old 
I, I do it's agree a with you. Boomer thing. It's what they do. It's, yeah, it's, people like just get irritable. It's not just a boomer thing. And I'm sorry to interrupt whatever point you're about to make, Abe. But the youths do <laughs> it too. The, <laughs> All right, Bill Maher. There, there was a there was a story this week about some fucking idiot who works for one of the Ethereum. So, so there's whatever. The I don't, need, I don't need to get into the details. Ethereum is a. Just don't. It's a Bitcoin competitor, sort of. It's a, it's a one of these tokens, right? One of oh, these the uh, Pokemon cards, crypto coins. It's a cryptocurrency, and there's some idiot who's worked as an associate of one of the big companies that deals with Ethereum a lot, and he got online and he was talking about how he's a Catholic, and he had tweeted back in 2014 about his Catholic views, and he thinks abortion is wrong and homosexuality is a sin. And uh, gay people shouldn't get married and, you know, normal fucking Catholic shit, right? Right. Extremely normal Catholic right. shit. And he, he doubled down on that this week when somebody dug up his old tweets and he's like, yeah, I'm a Catholic. I still think all of those things because that's what my faith tells me to think. And yeah, do, do I think that guy's an idiot? Yes, of course. But then he gets his contract severed with them because it's no longer acceptable inside that community, which is a community of uh, artists and weirdos oh, and all of, of the rest. Very important. Yep. And so now they have to push him out, and he and, and they, they must cleanse themselves of this guy who has the wrong beliefs. And this is a disaster that we are allowing our privately held religious convictions or any other ideology that we that or, or thoughts or opinions or whatever that we privately hold. That is now somehow part of that, that holding the wrong thoughts can get you kicked out of public life because of the perceived harm that it does to everyone else. When in reality, it's just because it's a fucking PR disaster, right? right. That's, all, that's all it is. It's just these companies trying to make sure that their, their bottom line is not harmed and so that they don't have to deal with the human resources nightmare that is a thousand people banging on, uh, sending emails every day asking why they're committed uh, to a trans genocide or what have you because they have a Catholic uh, as a VP of operations in some uh, department that nobody ever talks to anyway. By the way, no one has yet taken up my suggestion to say I'm not the asshole. God's doing all the heavy lifting. This is like his idea. I'm just kind of like a follower. of. So like just deflect and blame it on God. You don't believe that. No. They do. It's just a bad idea to push corporations to uphold the mantle of morality and a morality that is ultimately being determined by the most obnoxiously loud people, uh, the, the ones who uh, are just willing to complain the most. But uh, that, that's, it's not good. And it's, and it's a function, I think, in part of the loss of institutional faith. Yeah. Yeah. In our traditional institutions, that leads people to, to reach out and say, my morality has to find a place somewhere. I, I need to find my morality reflected back at me from somewhere. And if I don't have a church, if I don't trust the government, if I don't right. really have a community anymore because we spend all of our fucking time behind a computer screen, I don't even go to fucking work because I just work 16 hours a day in front of the computer. I don't talk to any other actual human beings. I need to find a way to have the world reflect my personal morality back at me, and the only interaction that I have is with a fucking Wendy's Twitter account, then I'm going to make sure that that Wendy's Twitter account doesn't sin against me in any way. Right. And I, I suspect, I still believe, half of the people that are making all this noise don't actually care. They're just being dicks. Uh, but you're right. I, I do think there is this like a, a 
community vacuum, like things like people would engage and interact and do things, whether that was at church or, you know, whatever, pick up basketball or something civic minded. People don't seem to do those things as much. And so they're online all the time and they, they try to find like-minded people and the people online are fucking crazy and they take on these ridiculous culture war stuff. But like I said, it's on the down slope. It didn't appear to be that way. It looks like it's going up, but it's going down, Bob. On the what makes you think it's going down? So, because there's been examples. So, like, uh, I think like He's this. He's using the Trump metrics. So I think I think where we are now with this nonsense is basically like a rip tide or rip current. Like, as long as you don't overreact to it, you'll be fine. You can just wait it out, and you'll float, and you'll get out, and you'll be fine. But if you react to all the the crazy stuff you're going to drown, right? And so what I was saying in the past was that eventually your tweets are going to come out. The people that are hurling stuff at Joe Rogan turns out said similar things. I mean, they were quoting and referencing whatever, but they were saying the words. I mean, the current position is that you can't even, in reference, say the word, right? And they're blindly saying, oh, this person is, is proof positive that he's racist because he said the word, right? And he said something right. about it. So, so that was the, the other half of the Joe Rogan. The other half of the Joe Rogan thing is he, they, they the the Midas touch bros who are the, the, these online asshole bros who basically are a, a wing of the Democratic messaging machine at this point. They they rose as part of the Trump resistance, uh, sort of ancillary to the Lincoln Project. Okay, like a but youthful, they're not connected but, to them. They're just they no they're they do not similar but they're, they're like another kind of Lincoln Project yeah. type thing. They call themselves the Midas Touch, and it's three brothers, and they basically appear to spend most of their time just putting together these very slickly edited videos. And the one that they released this week, or last week maybe, was of Rogan using the N word, like the actual word, over and over again throughout you know the course of the last ten years that he's been making his podcast. Right. And and it didn't look good. Obviously, it looks bad. And Rogan right. even went so far as to say, I felt bad watching that because, of right. course, he would. And and largely, like in, over 90% of him, in context, it made perfect sense for him to be using the word. He wasn't, deploy, he wasn't deploying the word. He was just referencing the word the same way that I did uh, the last time we, re we recorded, right. right? The sort of thing that could easily be thrown back into my face that I said the word out loud. And uh, therefore, I have sinned uh, against uh, uh, modern sensibility and propriety, and I must be cast out. What I was going to say, the, the funniest thing about that whole clip, I don't know if it was part of that clip or separate, but the most troubling stuff was just not uh, anything slur related. It's just like it was like walking into the Planet of the Apes, right? Like he didn't say anything, any bad right. words, the, right? Easily the so, worst of it. The worst of so, it is a joke <laughs> that he made about Planet right. of the Apes, right? Right. But it didn't. That's why I always think it's funny when people hang their hat on just words. It's like the meaning, like that is a much, if you're, you're going to make the argument, that's a much worse thing to say than just him referencing whatever. But the reason why I still have optimism is because Trudeau had a blackface saying, still was prime minister. People make a lot of noise. He's still prime minister. Uh, Ralph Northam ser served out his term. Are you he aware, ate a lot of you're, shit. You're literally, you're literally doing the thing that they make uh -huh. the meme about with the the airplane that comes back, and they say this airplane is actually fine 
but look at all these bullet holes. We need to reinforce all of the spots on the plane where there are bullet holes, not realizing that the planes that got knocked down had the bullet holes somewhere no, else, I'm right? Saying, <laughs> I'm saying a lot of these incidents, people think that it's You're fatal. talking about the prime minister of a whole country and right. the governor of the state of Virginia. Right. And then now those the people survived their their attempted cancellations because they're wildly powerful people, right? And because also, for the record, they started on the correct side of the aisle, exactly. Right? But they, what I'm that, that's what I'm, I'm I'm saying. This is losing a lot of steam because of that. There are examples from all sides, the, the, the entire continuum of the political spectrum of people doing and saying things that are bad, and those are just going to prop themselves up to where it's not going to be a gotcha thing. It's like everybody said stupid things 10 years ago. Let's move on. Even right. the people who are— And you're absolutely right. Even if you can't—and and an honest broker, somebody working in good faith— knows that even if there's not a recording or a video or right. a Facebook post or a tweet, if there's no known record of them having said something that wouldn't be acceptable, they fucking said it somewhere, right? right? No one is pure. No one is clean. No one has not said the wrong thing to someone and then felt bad about it later. Or maybe, in fact, thought it was hilarious and would happily have said it right. again, right? <laughs> the point is, is that nobody has gone through life in such a way that they can throw stones without themselves being guilty. The, right? the, the surprising and, thing is that people continue to throw stones, and they did so, like I said, against Joe Rogan and like half of them. Somebody, people have a lot of time online, but somebody went and looked back, and lo and behold, they all said something similar too. And it's like maybe that'll help. Like just everybody's like a a ceasefire or a truce or something on this. Or, you said a thing, or maybe it's only going to get worse, right? <laughs> maybe it's only going to get worse because we're going to teach a whole generation or two generations now of people. That that they cannot say anything remotely controversial, right? And there are there are people out there who have decided when they're 10 years old, when they're 12 years old, that they're going to be public figures, that they want to be on right. the Supreme Court someday, that they want to be a congressman, right? And the only people who we will be allowed to elect moving forward are the maniacs who decided as preteens that they were going to enter public life when they grow up. The ambitious fucking lunatics who have decided that they're going to uh, censor every single possible thought that they have and whatever they say publicly for the next 30 years in the hopes that they can be pure and clean when it comes time to examine their past record, right? Yeah, I think— we're at the near end of this uh, latest moral panic. Things will settle back into normal life. Don't worry. From the person who brought you Memorial Day, and as I've said, <laughs> as I've said before, if we did not have an entire social media ecosystem with which we constantly interact, whether we want to or not, that was designed to keep us at war with one another, then I might agree with you. I might say, sure. Moral panics have come and gone in the past. We had the, the terror about the catcher in the rye. We had the terror about the, the bad rap music in the 80s and the, the heavy metal music and the satanic panic of the 80s and the 90s. And these things come and go. It's just a natural cycle. But what we didn't have at that time was an infrastructure that was designed to keep us agitated and paying attention and at each other's throats at all times. 
And we have that now. So don't you think maybe the antidote is to just not pay attention? Mm. Ignorance is bliss. I yeah. always said that. Just like it's the it's stop, the it's the stop antidote. Letting it get to- if I can apply the antidote to the culture at large, if I can apply the antidote to say I don't know four billion people who use the internet every day across the globe, then I would. Instead, what you're telling me to do is to bury my head in the sand and assume that do it will you, get no, no, better no, because of the action else. that I take. Do, do you take any comfort in the, the latest Facebook meta numbers where, I guess, because they couldn't snoop on Apple users or they just don't have enough new users to come on board? They lost a fuck ton of money. Do you think that that's just a, a blip and they're going to resume gobbling up a lot of market share or... Yeah, I think Facebook's I think Facebook's in trouble. In fact, I hope that Facebook is in trouble. I don't I don't know what that means long term, but I look at this uh, meta stuff, I look at the metaverse, I look at this insistence that we're all going to end up in some uh utopian world where we can like flap our hands and float around a room and like go to parties and stuff and, and we have to buy virtual real estate. And we have to <laughs> we have to skin ourselves with like elven wear or whatever. Like yeah. I don't buy it for a second that there is going to be a future where that bullshit that we saw him try to show off on CBS News a few months ago when they yeah. when they unveiled the meta name. That's not yeah. the fucking future. Are you out of your fucking minds that you think that's where we're going, Mark? It's not happening, man. You got so fucking lucky in 2004 when you stumbled across the Facebook idea. And you are not going to design our future in the way that you think that you are if you think the answer is for everyone to insert themselves into virtual reality. Like, it's not happening. Like, who would want that? Like, at least the other stuff, like, oh, uh, information at your fingertips, you know, these smartphones, they they, kind of make sense. What the hell am I want to put a stupid fucking goggle thing on me so I can like pretend and, or get like accosted by somebody online that can sometimes happen, I guess. Like, why would I want to be right. in that world? It, it just. And there's there's part of me. There's part of me that completely rejects everything that I just said, because there is a part of me that suspects that that, in fact, knows that I've as I've said many times before, that this thing that I hold in my hand, this phone is a disaster for me personally. That my life would be way better in almost every way if I did not have this phone. Just Stetson Bennett flip phone it. And I'm not I'm right. And I'm I, I, I don't say that to be a Luddite. I think that I, I sincerely think that if I went back to not having one of these and instead had a landline. Or I still had one, but it, it didn't actually communicate with the outside world except for Lori. And then, like, I had office hours with it. You could talk to eight From, like, seven to nine. That I wouldn't, in fact, be better off, right? Yeah. That if I could limit my... That, that if instead of carrying around this information... And I, I don't mean that just for me. I mean, like, in general. I think it's probably very bad that we all think that we can just know everything at any possible moment just by picking up the stupid phone and getting on Wikipedia or getting on Google. You don't like that? The ease... It's it's a nice product as long as you don't use it in the wrong ways. It's right there. You can look things up. No, I think it's doing bad things to us, and it's doing bad things to our brains. And and there's there's the whole other end of it with could it be destroying attention and and our ability to pay attention and our ability to like be in the room 
with other people, which I recognize as a, as a personal flaw of my own when I'm in a room with my kids and realize I've spent the last 20 minutes dicking around on Twitter and I have no idea <laughs> what's been going on in the room with my children. Right? Like that's and not, the radio's yelling that's at That's not good. But, you know, there are simple remedies. You know, just pocket the thing. What I would want a, a two-tier system where a surrogate robot Abe goes out and about does my bidding, and then I just show up for the fun part. So, you know, like, okay, everybody's here at the bowling alley. Meet me at the bathroom robot. We swap places, and I take over, and then continue the rest of the night. You know, maybe he can watch the trailers for me, and I'll show up for the main event. Like, things like that. But I don't want to be on a stupid fucking thing. So, but that's what I'm saying, is, like, I am adamantly opposed. Most of the time, everything about the way that I am in the world is rebelling against the thing that I hold in my hand right now, the thing that is in my pocket all day long, I know it is bad for me. I know I don't want to interact with it. I know that I will be better off if I pick up a book today yeah. and read a book for two hours than if I That's the thing, fuck though. around on you're the internet. You're just as disengaged from what's going on around you when you're reading a I book. I completely disagree. I completely disagree. And, and I think that it matters that my options are to pick up uh, Dostoevsky versus pick up the fucking Twitter machine. You think it's, it's that- not just it's not it, it's the fact that and and this gets in now we've talked for too long and we can't really get into this. Yeah. But, but I think that it it matters that when I pick up a book, I'm entering a world. I don't think that the content is transferable. I don't I don't, what what yeah, I'm saying you're, is you're that you're leaving you're disengaging even more when you Okay, Dostoevsky, but, but, like, but what am you're I, not paying attention to me, that's for sure. But what am I doing in that moment? And it's engaging with humanity in a way that can only be read as positive, right? As opposed to when you pick up the phone. Unless I want to watch a movie with you. Okay, but if you think that it's this, you cannot seriously think that it's the same thing for me to pick up a novel versus to be dicking around on it's, my phone. It's not the, you cannot possibly it's believe it's not that. The, it's not the same. It's not the you're same. just as disengaged. But you know how... People make time to exercise. You know, it didn't naturally come about like in the olden days where you used to be in the junk. I don't know, whatever people did back then. But, you know, this is an important thing and you commit to it. I think something similar could be made of like, yeah, I, I, I find that it's different. I don't know if it's whatever it is, but whenever I'm reading something on my phone or online, it's like a different energy. It's very like uh, quick, 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 quick. But then when you're reading a book, you can kind of settle in and get into this world and – that I think there there are benefits to doing it that way, right? And so carve out. And time. I think, Lori, Lori, the the thing that you're missing is that you're reacting to the thing that I just said 30 seconds ago, which is that I find myself disengaged with the immediate world around me. And yeah, yeah I understand you can escape into a book and similarly disconnect from the world worse, around you. Worse, do it worse. Maybe, yeah, sure. But when I come back out of that world. Am I going to interact with the current world around me in a worse way because of the fact that I was reading the book as opposed to the fact that I was uh, being fed a constant stream of— I think because of, of what you let choose me finish to the look sentence. at, yes. Yeah, a constant stream of things that is designed right. to capture my attention in a negative way. And yeah, are, are there ways that you can fudge the algorithm so that it's mostly cat videos and parkour shit? Absolutely. But it's still doing the same thing. It is an attention economy that only wants 
to take from you as opposed to picking up a book that doesn't have that sort of an agenda. And there's no getting around that distinction, right? right? I'm not saying that I can't be a better person whether I pick up the book or pick up a phone, that I can't make a conscious choice to to better engage with my, my family in a meaningful way regardless of the medium that I'm consuming. But one of those mediums wants something from me and the other one is just offering something to me. I, I can't imagine how impossible it is for the younger people because at least we kind of straddled two worlds almost like when we we're younger we didn't have yeah we are superior we did not have like there, I, I saw like a, a we know what it's like to not have it there's like a youtube clip of like early 90s kids and they're all like in their school and no one i mean you you didn't think yeah. about it at the time but it nobody has exist. a phone or anything like so basically whatever yeah. distractions are you have to kind of create it yourselves or in your group and now yeah, it's just doodle. looking down and th- that's all they know. And I think it'd be harder for them to do it. Like, it's hard for everybody, but it's got to be harder for the young people who that's all they know, this Internet stuff. Yeah, it's a problem. You read a book. I'm, I'm, I'm currently listening to uh, Anna Karenina, which is a I've never read any of the great Russian novelists somehow. I think I tried to read War and Peace when I was like 17 and it didn't fucking take. And I'm, is that the I'll long probably one? go back to it. Yeah, I mean, they're all the fucking Tolstoy and Dostoevsky only write the long They ones. had a lot of time on their hands. But I, I've never read any of the great Russian novelists, and I'm, I want, wanted to make a point of it uh, here recently. So I'm listening to the audiobook of Anna Karenina, and it's very, very good. Uh, it's a big, stupid Russian soap opera, basically, as far as I can tell so far. And the names are way too long, and each character has like fucking three or four different names, which makes things very confusing. And they're always being referred to by one of the different names, and sometimes it's consistent within a chapter, and sometimes it's not. Anyway, uh, whatever. Uh, The point is, is that I listened to this book. It's like a fucking 40-hour book, right? I'm really enjoying it. These are characters who... If you only encountered them in 10 to 20 second increments on the internet, you'd fucking hate them, right? <laughs> Whereas the, the point of the of, of the book of, of Anna Karenina is it's presenting all of these characters. And, and yeah, you get a feeling about one on page 110. And you're like, man, I don't like that guy. But by page 430, right. you've gotten a much fuller picture of this guy who's undoubtedly an asshole, right? But who... At least you understand, right? And you you come to appreciate him in his way. You like, and like it, it, Tony Soprano. It, right. It's a very simplistic point that I'm making here. So there's more, but depth I think it's an important one. With these kind of what's that? There's more depth than there's the shallow vapidness of the internet. Right. The whole point is of a Twitter interaction is to fucking hate that person <laughs> or to find someone else to hate together with someone that you like, right? So a segment that I was I was trying to put together for this week was This Week in Trauma, right? I think, I think oh, we're yeah. going to have a segment on the show called This Week in Trauma. And I had a screenshot of a tweet from someone. I'm going to pull it up now. All right, here's a tweet. Liza. If there's no chocolate milk at school tomorrow, I know so many kids who are going to have meltdowns, and I won't blame them. Changing school menus in the middle of a school year during a pandemic is not trauma-informed and is ableist. All right. So that, on its face, is a ridiculous right. tweet, right? It, it, is, it is the tweet of a complete maniac who's worried about the fact that there's not enough chocolate milk to go around and that that 
not providing enough chocolate milk is a is a poorly trauma informed scenario that is going to result in more trauma for her students. Are they getting the better milk or any milk? They're getting milk, but it's not chocolate milk, oh. and apparently that induces rage breakdowns among some autistic kids at the, the special needs class that she teaches. Now, what I'm saying here is that is a ridiculous tweet, and it was treated as a ridiculous tweet by some tens of thousands of people on the side of the spectrum that you would imagine would treat such a thing with contempt, right? right. And not, not surprising whatsoever. It only showed up in my Twitter feed because somebody quote tweeted it to point out how fucking ridiculous it was, right? Right. And believe me, as somebody who wants to have a segment on our podcast called This Week in Trauma, I think it's fairly ridiculous, right? Right. I didn't know all the extra stuff, but uh, on, right, on the right. surface. So the, ridicul the ridiculousness of it hinges on a complete lack of context, right? right. Which is that this is a woman, and a little bit of, if you can trust her Twitter bio, right. she teaches in a special needs classroom. She deals with autistic kids all day. And these kids do have fucking meltdowns if they don't get their fucking chocolate milk, right? Now, is it is it dressed up in some absolutely, I think, silly sort of sociological psychobabble? Of yeah, I mean, course it trauma is. Trauma and Because form. that's the... I've never heard right. of that. That's the that's the world these lunatics are swimming that's in. That's just what... Because the, they take these, these, take these uh, professional development classes and learn phrases like trauma-informed. Now, is this... Just so right. I can get a better picture, this is... The the, the 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 autistic kids are uh, there's expectations they expect the chocolate milk. Yeah, and this is they gonna... like. I mean, if uh, yes, okay. there's consistency that they, I mean, not okay. for everyone. It's not like oh, autistic I mean, people like consistency. I but like. I agree with them on that. If I don't get my coffee at yeah. nine fifteen a.m. Yeah, they you know, and they're not. If you can't, you don't throw a total fit that involves violence. But that doesn't mean you don't feel like oh God. Right. What am I going to do now? Yeah, this sucks. They just don't have the capability to no, that's not true. throw a violent yeah, fit. That's true. Right. And and while I think it's silly to use that sort of language around this sort of thing, if I read a long fucking 2,000-word article or if I were reading a novel about a special needs teacher who has yeah. to deal with uh, maniac lunatic children who freak out when it's regular milk instead of chocolate milk, that would open the world up to me in new and interesting ways, as opposed to what Twitter wants me to do with this information, which is to laugh at this asshole, right? Right. For what it's worth, this is one of the many reasons I stopped uh, posting years ago. Because I'm like, there's no – it's like if I can effectively communicate whatever I want without it, it ta being taken out of context, like I, I just, I'll just save it for another setting, like group chats or – in person or whatever. I feel like a lot of people have done that. And we, this is a, another conversation that we can't get into, but like I used to post stuff on Facebook because right. I felt like my friends might appreciate it. Yeah. And now I don't do that. Yeah. Cause it's like, even, even I, the blowhard of all blowhards <laughs> post almost nothing on yeah. social media anymore, yeah. unless it's a bad joke. Like if I can make a bad joke that makes me extremely happy, then I will put that shit on Facebook. Or if an animal dies, right. then I will write a long obituary that is secretly just making fun of an old friend the whole time. Right. Right. Like that. If, if I can do that, then I will. But largely we don't mess around. And, and like, 
I've tried over the last couple of years at different times to post more on Twitter in the hopes of like gaining a following in the hopes of not even the following, like just like we make this fucking thing. I would like more people to hear it. Right. Like that sort of goes without saying, but it never fucking works. And I think, and and this is purely self-congratulatory. This is only, it's only self-aggrandizing in some way, which is that I, I don't think that I belong on that medium there's something about twitter this insistence i've been saying that to you for a fucking decade (laughs) right no i don't mean that i don't belong as in i should like delete the app from my phone i mean that there's something about no i've said it's a bad venue for you right welcome to the welcome to the correct answer after me after having actual fights about it dozens of times cool I don't know what she's talking about. She probably had these fights with that dude that she took to the concert back in 2007. Uh-huh. Yeah, that and wasn't then Abby me one time came over and said the same thing I always said, and you were like, oh, yeah, you might be right. Right. There's something about the medium that does not agree with me, and I've never been able to collect like more than a couple of followers from people that didn't already know me on, on Twitter. And what's funny is that it's an entire ecosystem that's designed around the opposite of what I'm interested in. Right. So like to get ratioed on Twitter is that a lot of people had something to say about the thing that you said without liking it. That's, that's, that's functionally what it means to get ratioed is that a lot of people didn't reflexively like the thing that you said and instead wanted to react to it and getting ratioed is perceived as like wildly negative. Okay. So, so like Brett Weinstein, a fucking idiot, uh, intellectual dark webber who's gone off the complete deep end with the COVID vaccine stuff and the rest of it, he has a new system that he's using on Twitter where he flags somebody as a sock puppet account if they have a small amount of followers but are following a large amount of accounts. Oh. So he says he'll still he'll still sick his mob on you if you respond to him but what he'll 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 do it by saying a, f- a red flag uh, this is probably a sock puppet and everybody piles on but it's like just normal people who have like 20 or 25 followers who follow some in the small hundreds of people on twitter are assumed to be bad actors right that if you haven't developed a large following over the last 10 years or 12 or 15 years that twitter's been around then in fact you must be operating in bad faith on there and it's like it's literally the exact opposite right right Right. (laughs) the the people who operate (laughs) in bad faith on twitter gain the the largest amount of a following it's the way the whole thing is designed anyway you've been listening to cast iron brains a podcast with Bob and Abe. You can find the show on Facebook or Twitter. Just search Cast Iron Brains. Also, head to the website, brainiron.com or castironbrains.com. The opening and closing themes of the show were composed by Mark Gillig, who I haven't heard from in a while, actually. Mark, you still listening? Shoot me a text, man. What have you been getting into, Abe? Go to the movies? <laughs> the... This uh, rough stretch continues, and it'll continue for another few weeks. I went to go see Moonfall, and it is... Yes! I want to go see Moonfall. I am so excited to see that almost certainly terrible movie in the movie theaters. It's certain. That movie is one of the worst movies I've seen in a recent memory. 
But is it bad? Is it bad the way that like uh, Captain Marvel is bad, or the way that Spider Man Eleven is bad? I was or perfectly is it fine with enjoyably those movies. Bad? Comp- no, I was looking at my watch. I was like, why is this two hours, first of all? Like, let's open with that. Like, this doesn't need to be two hours. It's the dumbest story. It is edited out of... It doesn't make sense. There are characters that don't even have word, uh, lines. They're just... This sounds good. This sounds good. We should go. Yeah, we should go. It's But it's Roland Emmerich. It's the guy who yes. did The Day After Tomorrow. The it's Death the guy tomorrow. who did Independence Coherent Day. story. This. Not. Is it... Watch Moonfall. <laughs> it's it is a bad movie. It sounds pretty coherent. Moonfall. I was legitimately disappointed that Moonfall was not available on any of our streaming services this weekend, and it was only oh, is a that theatrical a HBO release. thingy. It's, it's a, no, it's uh, only theater. in theaters. And it ate shit, by the way. I think Jackass did like two or three times the numbers. Did you see Jackass four yet? I know I haven't. I think I've only seen Jackass for like a few minutes when it was on MTV. Abe doesn't like it. Yeah. This, it's too... I'd like to see Jackass as well. I can feel it. It's like, ah, people getting hit in the nuts. Anything else besides Moonfall? No. no. I mean, I saw uh, the, uh, the first episode of South Park. Very funny. Uh, but no. Oh. And we haven't watched that yet either. We're, we're behind on our South we Park We watched watching. a movie on Saturday. What nope. did we watch? Friday. The Tinder Swindler. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's on that, Netflix uh, or whatever? On, I saw it. On Netflix. I didn't see it, but it did like... A documentary based or like the, uh, like a reenactment? No, kind it's of thing? documentary. Okay, so it's a two hours in in and out. It, you don't have to come back for fucking ten hours of uh, it documentary. It is a packed two hours though. It is dense. Is this like some good looking guy or just like somebody who has pictures of a no, good looking guy? I mean, sure. He's it's, okay. I guess I'll watch it. It's a it's a he's like a scam artist who operates. It's like a sort of ultimate catfishing okay. story. He caught Which a lot of fish relies upon with scam. women being dumb and sort of reckless, but surprisingly effective. Yeah, very, very effective catfisher. This fella. Ah, good. Never underestimate. Did he get caught? Yeah, he got caught eventually, but oh. just never underestimate uh, the ability of pure shamelessness to get the job done uh, in terms <laughs> of basically anything in this world. I also watched while I was in Denver. I watched 1917, the World War One Sam Mendes Ooh. movie that I had not seen. Came out in like 2019 or something, and that was a wonderful movie. Yeah, good in the theaters. Yeah, I saw it in my brother's basement with his fucking 75 inch oh. uh, television. Well, I'll do with surround sound, and I don't know how much his surround sound system cost, but when I joked about how he needed a 4K player. Because he shouldn't be plugging a regular uh, Blu-ray disc into the $600 surround sound or whatever that you bought. He scoffed at me because I called it a $600 surround sound system. <laughs> so it was a very nice setup that he's got in his basement. And I insulted it by saying it only costs $600. Uh, Took umbrage. Yeah, great Amazing. movie. By the way, this is unrelated, but everybody should invest in physical media. And not just because we don't want to let the tech overlords control our cloud storage and determine that... Uh, I mean, uh, just as an example, if Spotify is determined that 100-something episodes of the Joe Rogan experience are no longer acceptable for people to listen to or watch uh, because of some bad words that he said uh, 10 years ago, 
What makes you think that Amazon or Google or someone else won't determine that a clockwork orange, for example... I mean, look at Song of the South. Can't find it anywhere. Can't even watch Song of the South uh, simply oh, because boy. it's offensive to certain people. Anyway, physical media is the way to go, both because of the uh, chances that the copyright holders aren't going to come after you. Are Sometimes the internet doesn't work. Lowered. Sometimes the internet doesn't work. But also... True. Physical media provides a better goddamn experience than uh, than streaming does, overwhelmingly, uh, if you have the right physical equipment to go along with it. Abe, you uh, got anything else for us tonight? Nope. Well, I guess that's all we've got for tonight, then. We will talk to you next time. Later. It's also wildly unsurprising, right? And, and you need I know the... it's not surprising. It's if just in... like so obviously stinky. If 70 years of the Rooney rule doesn't produce a more equitable distribution of, of people at that... Like, as the thing that the Rooney rule solves for, in theory, is I'm just going to hire the guy with the Shanahan last name or the guy with the Gibbs last name, right? Right. And it's supposed to work against the sort of nepotistic impulses. Now, it doesn't work. Like, Gruden's fucking meathead child is still assistant coaching somewhere that's in the right. league just because his last name is Gruden, right? Like, it's just, that's what right. it's going to be a great deal of the time. How much how much of this do you think is at at the lower rungs, right? Could I wonder if they got, I don't know if there's numbers available, but of the, of the head coaches that become head coaches, they're like coordinators, Sometimes yeah. they're even like position coaches, but like if they added up all of those lower rung coaching positions, what is the makeup of that? You know, and it, does it translate to like the same kind of ratio? It doesn't have to be exact, but no, is it, it doesn't. It's it becomes a smaller and smaller right. percentage right. as you go up. Because if that's yeah, it's like if you know, because it's the coaching staff is not made up entirely of former players, but there's a good chunk of them that are former players, yeah. but. If the, yeah, no, if the, the it also doesn't mean it doesn't make you a better coach to no, be black it or white and or whatever. No. Like, right. Fucking Lovey Smith is not a great football coach. He's he just got a job, right? Right. Like, and yeah, maybe. But right. but the other I, I thing think... that the other thing about football coaches, you know who gets fucking jobs? Former fucking football coaches. That's why Romeo Cornell yes. got a job every fucking five years, right? But yeah. You He's have a to terrible head coach. Over and over again, Romeo proved that he couldn't be a great that? head coach. And this guy was my neighbor back in 1991. <laughs> I love Romeo Cornell. He was a Is defensive he still line coach for coaching? the. He's still. Is he? I think he's still. I think he. I thought he was still coordinating as recently as like two years ago. I, I don't know like if he's still. Seventy something, man. He's People very don't like old. their home life. He's part of the Parcells uh, coaching tree. He's great. But you're, but you're right, because even like what Dan Senior Quinn is getting a work. advisor for football performance for the Houston Texans. Okay, so he's got a, okay. he's got a pencil pushing around. job for the, for the Texans. Right. So. Anyway. trying to tell me it's bedtime so I can't work half my goddamn yeah, phone. it's bedtime. Like, Google, you're not in charge of me, goddamn it. You told it to I'm do in that. charge here. Not, yeah. I didn't tell it to do it. It just started doing it. Mine doesn't do that. My Google doesn't tell me when to go to bed. All right, here's a tweet. 